You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church Northwest is located in Vancouver, Washington. We meet each Sunday with two services, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We hope you enjoy. Want to know more about us? You can check us out online at www.axecamus.org. Okay, here's the sermon. We hope God blesses you through it. So I've got this friend, this lifelong friend um, named Tom Vo, And I've known Tom since seventh grade. When I moved up here, we used to live in California. We came before it raised your house prices, okay? It was a long time ago. Um, but, but I was uh, in California. We moved up here when I was in the seventh grade. And uh, Tom and I became friends really early on there. And we grew up together through junior high, through high school. Um, we're probably both still sort of trying to grow up, but we've known each other for a very long time. And when we were in school, I'm not sure exactly how old we were, but we weren't old enough to drive. I know that because there were bikes involved in this story. And so uh, we were, were hanging out. We are hanging out at one of my other lifelong friends' house. This guy's name is Rob Olakainen. We'll just call him Oli. And we had just finished... Uh, probably working out at the Oxford. I don't know how many of you remember the Oxford. I don't think it's around anymore, uh, but the Oxford was, was a place, a uh, very special gym, an old school gym, where they had the women's and the men's workout spaces separated so that all the guys would go, oh, yeah, you know how that is, and it's kind of annoying. They were over here, right? And the women's spot was over here, and the uh, other thing about Oxford was that in the locker room, the very old men still like to use the hot tub and the sauna, and they didn't really care about wearing clothes in there. And so I'm still in therapy <laughs> over some of the things I saw there. Um, my dad was a member, and so... <laughs> I am so sorry, Mom. All right. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we we're probably over at the Oxford, okay? And, and we got done. We went over to my buddy, Rob Oldkind's house, Oldie's house. Um, and and we, were, uh, we were there because Rob had the best house. I don't know if you guys had a friend who kind of had the best house, but Rob had the best house. He had, his dad had a hot tub, and they always had tons of Mountain Dew and Hot Pockets, which the Hot Pockets weren't really my thing. A lot of the other guys really liked the Hot Pockets at Rob's house. I wasn't really big on explosive bowel issues, and so I stayed away from, from the whole Hot Pocket thing. Shout out to Jim Gaffigan on that one. But it was, uh, it was, this, it was the place to be, right? And so I don't even know where this story is going, but uh, no, I'm kidding. Just, just wait. It'll get good. So we're hanging out, and I'm a pastor's kid, and my mind and my heart at that time were very much towards seeing people get saved. Like that was like I was I was passionate about that. So I'm talking. We're in the hot tub. I'm talking about salvation and Jesus and 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 that kind of thing. So, you know, grace by faith through Jesus Christ. This that whole thing to these guys. And Rob had probably heard this many times, but I'm not sure that Tom had heard the gospel message, at least a very competent um, gospel message before in his life. And so Tom began to show a lot of interest as, as I'm talking. And people rarely do that when I talk. So I was, yeah, I just kept going. Uh, and so uh, it's time to go. Like, we need to go. You know, Rob's parents are like, okay, time to go. Get out of our hot tub. And so we, we did that. And Bo, uh, Tom wanted me to, to go to his house with him, to go over to his house. This is where the bikes come in. I think we were on bikes. And off we went. We rode over to Tom's house because he wanted to keep talking. 
You remember when you could ride a bike without a helmet and like knee pads and all that stuff? And what is wrong with people these days? I mean, you know, I mean, yes, I fell off the bike. Yes, I had to get stitches. Yes, I still have scars, but I'm fine. I mean, I'm fine, right? What was I talking about? No, it's fine. Um, so <laughs> I did hit my head off falling off a bike, so that is true. Uh, so we get to Tom Street, okay? And, and I can still see this in my mind these very many years later. And Tom tells me that he wants to become a Christ follower. And so we prayed right there in the street that night for Tom to confess and repent and to accept the free gift of grace of salvation in Jesus Christ. Right there on the bikes, on the street. And Tom is still a committed Christ follower to this day. He's married with kids. He's a dentist up in Seattle. So if you're up there and you need your gums cleaned or whatever, look him up. I think we have a picture of Tom. This is him. It's Tom. So he may, when I look at that, I think he's aged a lot better than me. Like, <laughs> or he's got better Photoshop, one or the other. But yeah. So it's clear to me as I look back on that day how present the Holy Spirit was and is in our interactions with people, people that he is drawing to himself, people that the Holy Spirit is drawing to the Father. And I got to be a part, just a small part, I just got to be part of the process that God was doing in Tom's life, in his story, in him coming into the kingdom. And, and I've had the honor and the joy of walking with Tom together as brothers in Christ for almost 30 years now. And it's been a blessing. And let me tell you that there are a few experiences, maybe none, in this life that are as beautiful and joyful and life-giving as being a part of God's story in someone else's life. It's something that is, I can't explain it to you. I can just tell you that it's an amazing thing to get to see and to get to be a part of. And many of you have been involved in, in other people's stories and seen them make decisions to come to Jesus Christ and to be a Christ follower. And so you know what that's like. Some of you maybe have never had that experience yet. The truth is, Unfortunately, I did not maintain my passion for seeing people saved. And for a long time, uh, almost a couple decades, but a long time, I sort of lost that passion. I spent many years missing opportunities to proclaim Jesus to those who needed him. And I had a lot of people that had walked through my life or had been in my life for a long time, who I didn't share the good news of the gospel with. I just didn't, I just didn't think about it. I just wasn't, just wasn't on the front of my mind to do that for a long time. And of course, I had spent some years walking away from the Lord when I was young. And here's the deal. I don't have good reasons for why that didn't happen. I just have excuses and cop-outs. That's all I have. There was no good reason for it. And even to this day, I do not feel like I'm making the most of every interaction with people that I have. I am not sharing the most important part of my life as well as I could. But that's going to stop. That's going to stop today. I'm going to make sure that I am going to be committed to being very aware. God is just putting this on my heart, to just, that it's time to start being very aware of the people around us of the hurts that they're going through, of the need for the gospel, and that Acts Church is going to be committed to sharing Jesus 
and his resurrection power with our friends, with our families, with our community, with our city, with our region, with the whole earth. That's who we are to be as a church. And that's hard. And look, that might, it might go Gideon style, as you, as you heard Pastor Dave preach about a couple weeks ago, where it ends up whittling down to only so many people are willing to do it. And you end up with small force. But I'll tell you what, I'll take a small force who's on fire and passionate about bringing the gospel over a big force where we're not. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that you're here for a reason today. I think that God has called you here because he wants you to be part of that. I think he's called you here because he wants you to experience the honor, the joy, the pleasure, the, the, the amazing experience of seeing people come to Jesus, of seeing people get baptized, of seeing people come into the kingdom, of seeing lives transformed. I think he wants you to be part of that. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening online. That's, that's why you're hearing these words, because Jesus wants you to be a part of his body in a real way. Today, you're going to hear the call to share the gospel. You're going to hear the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saved us and the one who we serve to share the gospel. I'm going to show you the need first. We're going to talk about the need, and then we're going to talk about God's command to share the gospel. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to share the gospel, and I'm going to encourage you and exhort you to go out as our Lord has commanded us. Now, I thought we were going to be able to do this in one message, but as I got to my 20-something page of notes, I realized it's probably going to be two, okay? And don't even quote me on that. It might be three. But I'm going to give you some today, then we'll rehash and get into the next part of it next week. So just bear with me, or else I would not ever get you out of here on time. So let's talk about the need. As we studied last week in this county, there are probably, and this is, this is a guess based on some estimates, probably about 30,000 people this morning in Clark County who are in a church. Now, the estimated number of people in 2018 in Clark County was 281, I'm sorry, 481 something thousand. Which means that there's 450,000 people who are not in church right now. There's 450,000 people who need the gospel, people who Jesus loves, people who are made in his image and likeness, people who are lost in false ideas and false philosophies. We are in the center of secularism and postmodernism, moral relativism, and people are broken and destroyed and scared and, and weeping inside and yet putting on this outside thing because that's what they feel like they have to show the world. If you know many teenagers, you know that they feel almost compelled to use social media as a way to show other people that they're doing good. They feel almost compelled to do that. Like if they're not keeping up on that side, there's something wrong. And that doesn't make you feel better. That makes you feel worse. And so that's the world that we're in. Our young people are literally barely holding on. They're barely holding on as they watch the world give them false answers to their questions. False answers. And they're watching their parents and their teachers and their political leaders fail them and fail to live up to any kind of moral standard that would make sense for them. There's a lack of leadership 
there's a lack of care, and people are struggling. At the same time, they're being propagandized with secularism, moral relativism, and all the rest of it. And so they've got this on one side saying, really, there's no truth. Do what you want to do, be you. On the other side, they can see the results of that aren't going anywhere. That's good. And so they're broken. And it's not just young people. The fact is, across all demographics, people are struggling. They're struggling. And Jesus is clear about what will happen to those. What will happen to those who do not believe on him for life. He doesn't mince any words about what's going to happen. Let's, let's look at a few scriptures. John 3.18. He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Revelation 20.13b-15. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who? All. All have sinned. And then Romans 6, 23 says, For the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. And the just penalty for our sin and our rebellion and our wickedness and our selfishness and our self-centeredness is death. Some people struggle with that, like, how could what I'm doing be worth death? Because you cannot be an autonomous, selfish, self-willed person who wants to be God and at the same time be with God. You can't. It can't happen. You must be separated from him, and that is the second death. The just penalty of a just God, of a good God, is death for those who refuse to call on the name of Jesus Christ. Separation from him. He cannot allow those who are rebels and sinners to be in relationship with him. Or he wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be good. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's good news. Salvation is a free gift to those who will believe. And this is not the kind of forgiveness that we give each other, right? You kind of hurt my feelings or something doesn't go the way I want, and I say, okay, I forgive you, and I let it go. This forgiveness that's given by Jesus Christ costs something. It costs something because the wages of sin is death. And so in order for us to have that forgiveness and that grace, God had to become a man and had to die. And praise God, he rose again. There is no just simple forgiveness that God could give. He had to himself pay the price for us because the wages of our sin was death. This is very serious stuff. God doesn't just become a man and, and let his own creation kill him for nothing. 
It was for the joy that was set before him. It's because he loves you and because he loves these people, these 450,000 people in this county. I don't want to talk about Portland, just across the river, which has even higher numbers. This is the message that people need to hear. We sometimes wonder, I think, as we look at the world, why God just doesn't kind of wrap it up. Right? Let's just call it good at this point, or bad. Right? Come on back. Let's get out of here. Burn it up. It's done. Let's start over. I think that, that, that we, we sort of groan for the redemption that comes when Christ returns because things are so bad and so difficult and there's so much pain and people continue to use the will that God gave as a good gift to them for evil and to cause pain to people. But listen to this, 2 Peter 3, 7 through 10. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill this promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God is patient. He's being patient. He greatly loves the people who have not yet called on his name for salvation. All the people in your life that don't know Jesus, from your siblings to your children, to your barber, to your barista, Every one of them, God is being patient like he was with you and like he was with me, waiting for them to recognize their need for him and to come to him. He does not wish for them to perish. And so he's patient with the judgment that's to come, the judgment that will come on the world, that his patience would allow many more to come to him. And he wants to use us for that. We don't know, though, how long he's going to be patient. We don't know. And so we have a duty to go. We have a duty to go. People are dying and living lives of death. There is a harvest for you to work in the power of the Holy Spirit. For you, not just for church leader people, like the paid clergy people. That's their job, right? I come to church, I do the singing. Maybe I give some money, I do whatever, but it's not my job to go out to those people. No, it's your job. It's your job, Christian. It's your job. You have been commanded to go. Here's God's command. You ready? It's on the wall outside this room. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That is a command. I love the second sentence of it. The second sentence, it starts very clearly and very directly. Go. Not much to think about there. It's not a request. It's not a request. If I ask my kids to do something, you know, I say, Ethan, I need you to go do blah, 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 blah. And he starts with, uh, you know, you know how kids are. Well, can I do it later? Well, can I? I don't really want to. When I say go, he has no question about what I mean. 
He doesn't think at that point that it's a request. Not that I've ever raised my voice, okay? <laughs> Don't laugh, Ethan. <laughs> when I say go, when dad says go, there's no question about whether this is a request or a command. When Jesus says go and starts a sentence with go, there's no question about it being optional. It's not optional. You would never mistake this for a request. You always will know that it is a command. Jesus is our Lord. That is what it means to be his follower, that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lord means he commands and we follow. That's what Lord means. He's not, you can say Lord all you want, but if you don't do what he does, what he says, you don't mean that he's Lord. Lord means we do what he says. We are commanded by him to go and make disciples. We are to make disciples, new followers of Jesus. That is our job, every one of us. It's not just to some people. He didn't say, and for the pastors, go. And for everybody else, just chill. It's all good. It's not what he says. He doesn't separate Christians like that. For all of us, our command is to go. To go. Or to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and to teach them to observe all things that he's commanded us. That is our job. That is our command. Those are our marching orders. And one of the things that we teach them is that they also, as they become Christ followers, need to go. And it is a continuous thing that has been going on for 2,000 years, from the day of Pentecost to today. That's the reason that we're here, is because people kept going. Because they didn't stop going. Because they did what Jesus had commanded. If anyone had stopped, if at any time they just stopped, where would we be? Jesus said, go. Every one of us who is a Christ follower is a missionary. Go. We're to go. Everyone. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You have it. As a Christian, as a Christ follower, Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher from the 19th century, he said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Charlie don't mince words. It's just straight up, right? Oh, okay, it's like that. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. He's right. It's really simple. If we are really Christ followers and not imposters, then we follow Christ. It just follows. Christ has told us to make disciples, to share the gospel, and to be witnesses to his resurrection power. Therefore, real Christ followers will make disciples. Real Christ followers will share the gospel. Real Christ followers will be witnesses to his resurrection power. That's, that's a fact. If we don't do that, we're not real Christ followers. We're imposters. We're imposters. We're not doing what we're commanded. We're not really following Christ with all our heart if we don't do the things that he has commanded. 
Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go. Another go. Matthew 4, 19 says, then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we believe this about scripture, okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We believe the scripture is God-breathed, that God has breathed out the scripture, that he inspired it, all of it. That means it's true. It's revealed to us by God. Now, if you struggle with that issue particularly, like, do I really trust the scripture? How much of it is true? How did it come to us? All that kind of stuff. You can go back and watch the very first skeptics form we did. It's online. Number four of the first skeptics form is about the authority of Scripture. Watch it. Learn about it. There's a reason. There's evidence. There's reasons why we believe that this is the Word of God. Good reasons. We believe that the Bible is true. We believe that it tells us how to live and that the commands that God has for us are, are here. And today we've already studied that it says at least two things. At least two things. One, people need the gospel because they are spiritually dead and condemned by their unbelief. Two, we are commanded by God to preach the gospel to them. This is not complicated in terms of knowing what we're supposed to do. But we need to know how to share the gospel. We need to know how to. There are some reasons that we struggle with this command. Here are some reasons why I think we struggle. Number one, fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of people, straight up. If we're just honest with ourselves, we are afraid of people. We're afraid of looking weird. We're just afraid of it. We have been beat into submission by the world to fear looking different, to fear looking weird. Not everybody, but most people are incredibly afraid of not having the approval of those around them. That is a fact. It's just reality. We have bought into a lie that you shouldn't bother people. We've bought into a lie that it's somehow judgmental to share Jesus with people, or it's rude, or it's annoying, which that it might be. A lot of things that are good could be annoying at first. It's absolute nonsense that it is judgmental to try and convince people of their need for Jesus. Or we're afraid that we don't know what to say. We'll somehow mess up. We'll get a question we don't know how to answer. Let me tell you something. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Romans 8.31-39. This is kind of a longer passage, so stay with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now listen to this. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there is fear, it is not from God. It is not from God. He says he loves you and that he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and that his son rose again, proving that he's God, proving that he has the power and that nothing can separate you from that love. Whether the person that you're talking to rejects you, of course, in that case, they're just rejecting Jesus, not you. Whether everybody abandons you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's the only thing that you're going to hold on to with absolute assurance in this life. Everyone else probably at some point or another will fail you. But nothing can separate you from the love of God. You have nothing to fear. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's who you are in Christ. If you're in Christ, that's who you are. You got to live in it. You got to live in it. You have nothing to fear. If you're afraid of social judgment, then you're looking too much to social acceptance for your value and not enough to Jesus. And I know that's easy to say. I recognize how hard that is to do. I recognize the pressure that the world and Satan has put on us to feel like we have to have this social acceptance, to feel like we have to have people think good things about us. We need to be cool. We need to fit in. We need to whatever. I recognize that. And yet it is a lie. You do not need it. Your value is in Jesus Christ. Your value is in that God, your father, created you in his image and likeness. And that he loves you so much that nothing could separate you from the love. And that he loves you so much that he didn't hesitate to give up his son to die for you. You don't have to fear. We need to repent as the church, as Christ's church in general, of the fear of man, of the fear of people. And we need to follow Jesus who truly loves us, who we can always depend on. And he created us with value so great that he died and rose again for you. If you have fear of not knowing what to say, which I get that, you don't feel qualified. Well, you are. You know who the most effective evangelists, people who, who go out and, and speak about Jesus are, people who have just been saved. People who know almost nothing. They're the most effective. Why? They're passionate. They haven't forgotten what Jesus did for them. It's fresh. It's right there. We get into the, into the swing of things, and we sort of, we're living, we have this joy, but we forget how necessary it is to share it with the world. It becomes too easy to sort of live in it and forget how amazing it was. The further you are from that dead person, the less you might remember him or her. Don't forget. Don't forget what Jesus did for you. Like I say, those who have just come to the Lord tend to be the biggest evangelists for Jesus. But should they be? 
Some of you have been in the Lord, like me, for a very long time. We actually do know the scripture. You got new believers out there who are like, I'm not even sure what it says, but I know what Jesus did for me, which is powerful. But you could be saying, I know what it says, and I know what Jesus has done for me. But if you are concerned that you don't know what to say, listen to this. Luke 12, 11 through 12. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The Holy Spirit will empower you. Listen, if the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say before the hostile authorities, how much more will he teach you what to say to those who he is drawing to the Father? He'll teach you what to say. Don't fret. Don't fret. You do not need to fear. Now let me show you the definition of the word evangelism. It's up here on the screen. Evangelism, the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. And then underneath that it says, zealous advocacy of a cause. So people have used the word evangelism to mean both of those things. And you actually probably have no problem in your life with that second definition. Zealous advocacy for a cause. You advocate zealously for the latest movie that you've seen that you think is awesome. You tell all your friends, hey, have you seen Knives Out yet? Or whatever it is. I'm a little behind. I think that came out a while ago. I don't watch that many movies, okay? Well, hello. You get the new car. You go, you go to the new restaurant. You're all over, you know, uh, the, the internet. Hey, I'm rating this five stars. I'm doing whatever. You're telling your friends about it whatever it happens to be for your team. You evangelize all the time. You're not afraid of it at all. You know how to do it. You just talk about the things that you're passionate about. Now, if you talked about Jesus as excitedly and as passionately as you talk about whatever else has tickled your fancy lately, you'd probably be doing pretty well on the evangelism side. Now, I realize, I recognize that it's not that simple. There's a little more pushback when you talk about Jesus than when you talk about your new car or the latest restaurant or the latest movie that you saw. I get that. I also realize that Jesus is eternally more important and more valuable than those things. So maybe he's worth a little pushback. When we don't talk about Jesus, when we go through our life and we meet people and we're around people and we don't talk about the thing that is the most important in our life, the thing that has literally transformed us from death to life, the one who we love, who loved us first while we were yet sinners. When we don't do that, when there's people in your life who don't even know that you're a Christ follower, it's never come up. It's pretty close to just denying him altogether. That's what it's pretty close to. If it's not coming out, it's being hidden. If you can come here on a Sunday morning and be like, Jesus, I love Jesus. Yes, what has Jesus done in your life? But then you go out of this building and you go out in the world and you would never talk about Jesus. It's not a lot of difference between that and just denying him straight up. There's some difference, but not a lot. This is what he says in Matthew 10, 33. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Serious. Now, if that's us, we need to stop. We need to stop if we're denying Jesus. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times after being like, I'll never deny you. 
I'll go to death with you. And some little girl's like, hey, aren't you with him? And he's like, no, nope, I'm not with him. I mean, like an hour later. There is some precedent for why we feel the way we do. He was afraid. And he denied Jesus. Now, he repented and eventually went to death for Jesus. That's what we need to do. If we've been denying him, if we haven't been proclaiming him, it's time to repent and turn that around. I don't want to be like Peter in that moment. I want to be like the Peter that went to death for Jesus. That's the Peter who we want to be like. Now, some of us have bought into the idea, this is kind of a popular one, that we can just live a good life, and people will somehow know that that's because of Jesus, that we're living a good life. And they'll come and ask us about Jesus. Jesus in his great commission does not say, wait and live righteously, and people will come to you with questions about me and then answer those questions. It's not what he says. If that happens for you, that is awesome. That is, that is fantastic if the Holy Spirit works that way. But that is not the main way to do evangelism. That is not the way we're taught to do evangelism. Of course you should live righteously, but they should know why you live righteously. And the only way they're going to know that is if you tell them. The main way to do evangelism is to preach the gospel, to witness to people. That's the main way, to speak the truth to people in love. Romans 10, 14 through 17 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do not be afraid to step out and share your faith. Out loud, with your mouth. Don't be afraid to do that. Now let me give you a few steps. Let me give you just a few steps here. One, start praying. Bathe it in prayer. Start praying for people and start praying for opportunities. You know who God is putting on your heart probably right now as we're sitting here. Start praying for people. Start praying for opportunities. Pray for the people you already know. Pray for opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. Pray for the people that you don't know who haven't come into your world yet and start praying for opportunities to speak to them. Start praying for them like you love them like you care about them, like you're passionate about them, like what you want to see is transformation in their lives, that they might have what you have, freedom from sin, peace with God. Start praying that for them. Hard. Wake up in the morning and pray every day for them. And pray for the 450,000 people in this county who need Jesus. Every day, pray for them. Show hospitality. Invite people over to your house. Clean up first. Okay? If you can do that, part of hospitality, no one wants to come and step in your cat's urine on the floor and all the rest of that. I'm just speaking for myself, okay? I'm kidding. We do have a lot of cats. Clean up first. Invite people over to your house. Show some hospitality. Or take people out to coffee. Talk to people. This, this whole thing here, 
I got this backwards. I don't even know how to use it. This is not social interaction. Okay? This is a phone. If you're doing this while you're sitting somewhere with a real person, unless it's like something you really have to answer real quick and you say, I'm sorry, can I do this real quick, whatever. You'll see people sitting in a restaurant and they're like texting each other. I'm going to look deep into your eye, phone, right? <laughs> this is not community. Why don't you just shock somebody by actually speaking to them for more than five seconds? Talk to people. Talk to people. Talk to your barber. I don't have a barber. I cut my own hair. Tiffany helps. That's why it's so amazing. <laughs> That's why I keep it short, because it's like number seven, number four, and I'm done. <laughs> or talk to your barista. Invite these people into your home or out to dinner or whatever. Now, be wise. Please don't let me hear about a bunch of 50-year-old men inviting young women baristas out to dinner. <laughs> okay? Don't do that. The don't be a dummy rule applies here. Okay? Have some wisdom. But... Invite people out, hang out with people, spend time with people. Spend time with people and pray while you're talking to them. In the middle of that, just beginning, God, what do you want from me? Don't feel pressure. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's just asking you to go. That's what he's asking you to do. Don't, don't get me wrong here. You will not drag or push or pull or tackle somebody into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. If you save them, they're not saved. You didn't die for them. All you need to do is be present and go and speak the truth about Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do what he does. He is the one who is drawing them to the Father. But you get to be a part of it. Don't overthink it. Just start spending time with people and pray. Pray in your heart as you're speaking to them. And ask them as you listen to them, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? My experience is that very few people say no. When I was practicing law uh, in Tennessee, it was very common that I would ask people if I could pray for them. Not all of them were Christians by any stretch. That's why they had to see a lawyer, right? <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of them were Christians, but a lot of them were not. And I had, I think only one time ever did I have somebody be like, I'd rather you didn't. And I was like, okay, you're going to hell. No, I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, didn't say, I did not say that. I did not say that, but he probably was. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. Very few people are uncomfortable. Very few people are, or let's put it this way. They have the whole problem of not wanting to upset you. You put the whole thing back on them, so they're willing to let you pray for them. Pray for people. Be like, it's real to me. Real enough that in the middle of, the middle of this coffee shop, I will start praying for you. Because that's how much I believe that this is true. This is not just a game. This is not just a story. This is not just a legend. This is not just something to believe to make you better. This is not just self-help. This is Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen. There's power in it. Pray for him. Pray for her. Pray for them, whoever it is. And let God do what he did in the book of Acts. Let him do miracles. Let him show his power. Be intentional. Be intentional. Love people intentionally. Ask questions. Listen to people's stories. This is not just you coming in and blah, 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 blah. Okay, are you ready to follow Jesus? That's not what it's about. Talk to them. 
Ask them questions. Love them. Treat them like you love them. Tell them your own story. You should know your story. Think about your own story. Prepare your own story. Know what you want to say before you go in about what Jesus has done in your life, about where you were before, about coming to Christ, and about how he's worked in your life. You should be able in five minutes to share with somebody the power, the resurrection power, the transformational power of Jesus in your life. Just tell them. No one can argue with your story. They can argue about a million other things, but they can't argue with your story. Tell them your story. It's that simple. Now, we're probably going to talk about some more next week in terms of practical advice on how to share your faith, but do not overthink it. Do not overthink it. Keep in your mind the love that Jesus has for these people made in his image and likeness. And do what you would do if you loved them, which is to tell them about the judgment that they're facing and to show them the good news of the gospel. Colossians 4, 5 through 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace. Season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And here's the deal. If you run into questions that you can't answer, you have something that so few Christians throughout the history of the church have had. You have an iPhone in your pocket. And for those of you who are gluttons for punishment, you have an Android in your pocket. So if you have an iPhone, they ask you a question you don't know, pull it out, open it up. If you have an Android, pull it out, restart it however many times, factory reset, whatever it is that you have to do to get it working, okay? Then, then once it's working, <laughs> I know they've gotten better, you know, whatever. So anyway, green bubble people. So then go to the Axe Church website, axechurchnw.org. We have tons of resources from podcasts to sermons to, to, to uh, whatever that's on that website that you can go in and be like, oh, you, have a you wonder why bad things happen to good people? Boop, boop, boop. There you have it. Then watch it with them right there or say, will you watch this later or can I come over and we'll watch this together? Or crazy thought, bring them here. Let those who know the answer, because you don't know the answers to every question. None of us do. That's why we're a body. Between the body here, we have answers to the questions. We don't believe this stuff on blind faith. We have good evidence for it. So if that's where they're struggling, take them to the website, bring them to the church, to the building, make an appointment with me, one of the other elders, one of the other teachers, one of the other pastors, and get the questions answered. Just admit when you don't know the answer to something, by the way. Do not, do not, Act like you know the answers to everything because you don't. And it comes off as very disingenuous. Just be like, you know what? I, I recognize that I've heard the answer to that before and then I'm satisfied with it, but I don't remember what the answer is. So let me take you somewhere where you can hear it. Don't overthink it. Just be faithful and watch God use you. And then pray some more. Every time that you leave an encounter that you've had with an individual, every time that you leave a, a relationship, a conversation, whatever it is, 
Just a quick text, hey, how are you doing? Whatever it is, just start praying. Pray that God's going to continue to work in that situation. Wake up in the morning and read the Great Commission. Read Romans 8. Get fired up. Get fired up and get in the game. It's time to go. Jesus has told us to. And be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Christianity following Christ is just not for fence sitters. It's an ugly way to follow Christ. It's an ugly way to follow Christ. It is not for fence sitters. It's not for those who are not in totally, not out totally. It's for those who are serious. It's for the weak who have been made strong. It's for the fearful who have been made fearless in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's for the lost who have been found and are just jacked up about the fact that they've been found. That's what Christianity, that's what following Christ is about. And that's who it's for. So be that. In Revelation 3, 14 through 16, Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea, and he writes this. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. Neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's not a joke to be lukewarm. It's ugly. It leads to hypocrisy. Who wants to follow lukewarm Christianity? So I hear you follow Jesus. Yeah, it's okay. Sometimes, if I feel like it. Not everything. That's just not going to do it. A broken world that's looking for answers is not going to the lukewarm. They're going to the hot. And we're hot, baby. You know what I'm saying? We got to be hot. We got to be hot. Let's be his followers. Let's be his disciples. Let's be hot. Let's not be lukewarm. Let's be serious. Thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope God spoke to you through it. We would like to invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. for our Sunday service. If you enjoyed this sermon, have questions for us, or simply want to connect with Axe Church more, find us on Facebook under Axe Church Northwest. Send us an email or message, or leave us a rating or recommendation. We appreciate all of you and hope to hear from you.